The question in my mind is, how do you create or relaunch a highly profitable and successful six to seven figure business? With so much conflicting advice about the best ways to start and grow your business, how do you get it right the first time? I want to help entrepreneurs make a real difference and navigate the messy world of startup or relaunch. My name is John North, and this is the Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs show. Join me today when we dig deep with our guests and get you the best blueprint so you can fast track your own business. This episode is sponsored by Volpreneur.app, your all-in-one online business system. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. So let's get into the day's episode. Hey, it's Josh Taylor from Product Evo. I just finished the Startup Secrets show with John, and we covered some amazing topics. So if, if you're an entrepreneur with uh, an idea for a product, we covered things like product strategy, choosing the right table metaphorically to sit down at to make sure you can get the biggest return on your investment. And we talked about the pandemic and its impacts on, on supply chain and, and bringing new products to market and what it really takes to make a product successful. Check it out. I think you're going to learn a lot. Welcome to the Startup Secrets Show for Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, John North, and my very special guest today is Joshua Taylor, who's from Product Evo. Welcome, Josh, to the show. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here, John. Cool. So, so what part of America are you in? I'm in southern Utah. So Utah. most okay. people know where we're at by Zion National Park. That's where right. you see the Zion National Park yeah. uh, skyline from my window. Right, nice. There <laughs> you go. We've had, we've had guests from all over the world, basically. It's so um, it's not interesting. It's sort of like it's like travel, like a geographic trip. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, man. <laughs> so, give me a bit of background about who you are and and where you, where you've been the last twelve months, ish. Say. <laughs> well, I mean, the last twelve months we've been in a global pandemic, right? So it's been yeah. a wild ride for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, so. I run a company called Product Evo. We do physical product development. Our mission is to make the process of developing and launching successful products more predictable. And we're specifically focused on physical products. So we do a lot of outdoor gear. We do a lot of kitchenware. Um, we do a lot of consumer electronics and some medical devices just to give you an idea of, of the type of products we work on. Right. So those people essentially building those products from scratch and then and creating them, right? So they're, they're, they're basically coming up with a product. Yeah, that's it. So product development, it's a, it's a nasty, hard, messy process mm. at times. Um, and so we have to do a services online product, let alone do a physical one, right? That's <laughs> that much more of the challenges involved. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You got it. So yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, if, if an entrepreneur or business owner um, has that concept then a lot of times they'll hire us to come on and help them actually execute on their idea. Right. Okay. So how did you get into this gig in the first place? Like, is that, yeah, you know, man, like all good stories, there's plenty of zigs and zags yeah. in my story. So uh, quick background, I actually graduated university with a uh, major in finance and a minor in econ. Um, so it has nothing to do with product thing. development. <laughs> and then like most good college grads, I, I got my first career in sales, which has nothing to do with finance or econ, but um, 
you know, it's the easiest work, job to get, right? Anybody <laughs> to get the yeah, sales anybody that's willing to, to, to suck it up and pick up the phone can get hired. But uh, for me, I, I'd happen to have a lot of sales background anyway. I put mm-hmm. myself through university, through sales jobs. I like working with people, um, and I like the challenge of it too. So, you know, I, I, I pursued my career in sales. That led to a career in marketing because I think there's a natural transition. I think there's there's somewhat of a disconnect between marketers and salespeople in a lot of companies, which is why you see those two departments at odds. But um, I think marketing really to be effective as an extension of sales, it's, it's taking your best sales conversations and then, you know, making those marketing with those best sales, like writing them and, and making videos and, and doing all that. So that, that was a natural transition for me. I ended up as VP of marketing for an outdoor sporting goods company. Got to know that industry really well. When I got hired to work for that company, originally I just sold a company and the investor in that company was, was trying to get me and my business partner to come help grow this other company that he had invested in. So that's how I ended up with the, the job of VP of marketing. But before I took that job, I looked at the product. I'm like, man, this is a fat product. This is going to be like a rocket that's going to go up and then come right back down. (laughs) And I wasn't really interested in in jumping into a business that I thought had a short lifespan. So I was talking to the owner in the interview process and I asked him what his strategy was to uh, basically establish a long-term business. He had a good answer. He said he was going to open a bunch of retail doors with that initial fad product and then follow it up with more stable products for the longevity. So great. Sign up. I come to work with him. Over the course of about 18 months, I realized his idea for follow-up stable products were variations on the same idea. Okay. And I'm, and I'm watching. They had one good idea and that was about it. <laughs> oh, that was it. Yeah. I'm watching our competition just start to crash and, and die all over the place. I mean, they're, they're just burning up. So I approached him with some ideas. I knew who our retail customers and partners were. Uh, we had a lot of distribution in the pharmacy space and we, we had a lot of brand recognition as an active lifestyle company. And so I came up with two product ideas that I thought met what our retailers would want. They would expect a purchase with us and also were in alignment with who our brand was and pitched him to him. And he gave me the green light, but we didn't have anybody in the company who could do that. So I was like, I'll tackle it. So this is how I stumbled into product development. But what I found, because I've got a really creative background, um, I found that this was like the perfect marriage between my sales experience, my creativity, my marketing background. As you know, it is when sales, like a lot of salespeople have to take what's out there and just kind of map it more or less what the customer needs. It's really a communication I- between the customer and the, and the product, really. At the end of the day, you're the kind of the meat industry that figures it out for them and explains it in their own, in their own language, really, at the end of the day. That's it. Mm. And, and, the, and the kind of the hack I had was I knew what the customers were saying because I was already talking to them. Mm. So I went backwards. I'm like, well, I'm just going to build what they want. It seems so obvious. And I did it. <laughs> and, and lo and behold, they were really successful products. And I was like, aha, light bulb moment. I'm like, this is fun. There's a ton of leverage in, in doing it this way. And, and I think the other big disconnect you see is most people in product development, especially once you get into the engineering departments and bigger product teams, they are disconnected from those immediate conversations with customers. And that's why you see products miss the mark so often. Mm. So that's how I stumbled in to this job. That's the, the shortest story, but, uh, 
that's, how long that's ago how was I that? got to where I'm at today. How long ago was that? Um, seven years ago now. Time okay. flies. Yeah. yeah, it does fly business. I yeah. reckon it flies past. It's almost like Monday yeah. starts and then suddenly it's Friday and you think, what did I get oh done gosh. this week? <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so I assume we, so you're a one-man band when you started, obviously. like you, So you essentially become the, 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 uh, the supplier, essentially, of this guy instead of the employee, right? So you almost hired yourself as a new job. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, you know, I, I helped him launch those new products. There were a lot of promises that weren't kept at that company from him to me. And, and finally, I just I've had it. And so I started my own company, Product Evo, doing what we do now. Um, I did take on a partner who'd been contract manufacturing in China since I think around 1992, originally started his career with Velcro. Mm -hmm. He was a silent partner more on the advisory board, but what he did have was those connections with the qualified factories and a really good network. And so I was able to lean on him from time to time, but yeah, it was just me. I went out and, um, you know, did what every good entrepreneur does. And I got super scrappy and I, I kind of forced my way into a few good networks and started drumming up clients, which, you know, we can get more into if you want, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's it look like today? Like in terms of, of the picture now, any staff or, or what's the operation essentially look like? So today we're still pretty lean and mean. We've got a staff of 13. I've mm -hmm. got a full-time office in China with three employees. We're about to hire a fourth full-time Chinese employee. Got two full-time employees in the Philippines, and then we've got uh, the remaining staff here in the USA and St. George. So, and we're we're growing like crazy. I think we've we've almost doubled our staff just just this year in the last twelve months. Can you imagine what it's like? Like if you go back and you know, fifteen twenty years even, and when a business went international, it was a big thing, right? Yeah. When you think about it now, we're all almost all international businesses. When back then it was like a big deal with a company, local company suddenly went international and put up an international office and stuff like that. There's a huge expense. There's a lot yep. of risk involved. And, and, you know, obviously they didn't do it by halves usually. But they usually have a lot of stuff <laughs> and obviously no technology, a lot of technology. So they had to basically do everything by hand. So it's quite interesting that a, a small operator can almost start from scratch, become an international business, you know, within a few years. Yeah. And, and, and you know with the right connections you can grow pretty quickly and you can be quite nimble so do you have any real competitors in your marketplace that kind of do what you do like have you got some tough competitors yeah you know there's there's definitely plenty of competitors people that doing what we do but when i entered this space it was very calculated um meaning so i don't know if you you know who tony shea is the founder of zappos he wrote his book yeah, Bell, yeah. yeah i think it's it was called discovering happiness and he said something in there that really aligned with the way I already believed. And I can't remember the analogy perfectly, but it had to do with him playing poker. He's a big competitive poker player. And he said, you know, if you get on the wrong table, you can use the best strategies in the world, mm. but your winnings are only going to be so high. So he said that the, the biggest decision you make when you enter a room is which table to sit down at. And he applied that to business. He's like, once, once you start a business, you're committed. Your resources are going to that business, your time. And I, I have the same conversation with clients regarding products that they're going to launch. I tell them to be really careful about which product they launch because once they pull the trigger and start paying for injection molds or tooling and production mm -hmm. and inventory, I mean, you're committed and that's no small commitment. Usually it's in the tune of a few hundred thousand dollars. So be careful which table you sit down at. Like really make sure you sit down at the right table because the effort 
the cost, all that's the same. But if you sit down at a, at a table or choose a business or product with high leverage, you get, you know, multiple returns on that same amount of effort. So when I entered this market, it was very calculated. I, I, I've been an entrepreneur for 10 plus years prior to this. I've had, you know, successful businesses and not successful businesses. And when I looked at, at this, I was looking for a market that had more demand and supply that was also in alignment with my unique abilities and what I wanted to do. And, you know, when I chose to start this, yeah, I, I, I shared my founding story of how a few things came together, but that was more in the alignment, but I still have my own checklist of, does this meet the other criteria of, is there more demand and supply? What's the competitive marketplace look like to, to make sure that was a sweet spot. And as I dug in, yeah, it was a sweet spot. So we, we jumped into it and, and here we are today. So yeah, there's competitors out there. Um, absolutely to what we do, but it's not a red ocean um, and still room to grow, which is really fun. It's actually interesting. I was listening to an audio of um, Steve Jobs's um, biography and apparently when he bought out the Apple II, he decided he was going to create this, you know, very different kind of case because all the cases look weird. So he basically decided to make this um, plastic case and mm -hmm. apparently the tooling of it cost nearly $250,000 just to tool that case. Easy. And he yep. had to convince people to give him money and and um and all that sort of stuff. And there was one guy apparently he offered a third of the business to, and and to this day he feels that he wish he'd done it because <laughs> that's been the was the problem. Was he's trying to raise his money to build this product. Yeah. So the cost of products can be a lot more, as you say, can be a lot more expensive than you think. Yep. And I think at the end of the day, yeah, getting on the right table is important because other, otherwise you're going to go down a really dark alley <laughs> and, and, and you don't know what's going to happen. I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily spend enough time maybe asking the hard questions. Um, I think it's like a honeymoon period. You come up with this great idea and then you fall in love with it. You do. And then yep. you start convincing yourself that it's all good. And yep. no matter what someone says to you, it's almost like you've got the new girlfriend, you bring it home, bring her home and the, and the mother doesn't like her. And, and you say, no, I'm going to marry her anyway. And you know, <laughs> get divorced in the end because I think what happens is mother knows best, right? And yeah. so someone's looking to the outside going, I can see this smile off, but you can't. Yeah. And I think that's probably the bit that, you know, obviously you bring to the table is you're going to say to them, well, I'm going to ask you the hard questions to make sure that it is actually a product that's going to make it. Because, um, you know, not, I guess a lot of products fail, right? There's plenty of products out there fail. Even the big guys bring out products and they fail dismally. Control your destiny and create a complete business system for your online business. Evolvepreneur.app offers an easy and cost-effective way to build your online business by helping you avoid the pain and stress of implementing multiple systems, giving you the freedom to automate and scale. Support our sponsor by grabbing a free copy of Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs at Evolvepreneur.app. They do. I mean, look at Coke, new Coke. That's like one of the, the, the biggest product failures of all time. Um, so yeah, big Isn't it funny with Coke though, like it, it presents all this healthy lifestyle stuff and the reality is that it, that, that stuff will kill you, right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's like, but it's all about health and, and wellness and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, they never put any fat, you know, people on, on drinking Coke that's basically sitting on some sort of diabetes <laughs> thing or something like that, right? They never do that, but it's almost like it's, it's making that sound sexy, but then yeah, new Coke and stuff. So yeah, I mean, they make, I think they... Do they just completely miss their market? Do they never they get so beyond their customer they don't understand them anymore? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of case studies on why that one went south and a lot of factors. But mm -hmm. what I find the common denominators for why products fail for call it small to medium sized companies is 
too many people do exactly what you said. They fall in love with their idea and they don't tie it back to reality and they don't really vet that idea like they should. It's confirmation bias, right? Like once you have the idea and you're in love with it, your brain literally filters out, you know, any, any information to the contrary. But I always ask, I always ask people questions to figure out if there's at least a guaranteed market of one meaning do, does that entrepreneur, do they have some personal affinity to that product? Meaning, are they a user of it or is somebody very close to them benefiting from it? Meaning like a, a mother or father or cousin or child, somebody that they care deeply about because we're not Procter and Gamble. We're not Johnson and Johnson. We're not Walmart. We don't have their budgets. And even with their big budgets, they still sometimes have a hard time overcoming that gap of really that intuitive personal understanding of a market. Mm. But as small business owners and entrepreneurs, like if you don't have that personal intimate knowledge of what your users are thinking and feeling, because you are a user of the product, it's, it's a, it's a tough situation to overcome. So, so it was interesting. I was, I was, I was listening to a Tony Robbins summit on the weekend um, and one of the things that someone said on there, I can't remember who it was now, was said, fall in love with the process, but not the product. Amen. And, and that sort of, you know, some, some sort of, you realize that you think, oh, hang on a minute, don't fall in love with the product. Don't start believing your own BS. I mean, there was a, there was a case in Australia when years ago, when I was involved in accounting software and they, they launched a new tax and this tax was to change everything. So everybody had to have accounting software suddenly before they could get away with it, but it was just impossible to do it without it. So it sucked all the accounting sales the software out of the out of the market within a space of six months. So suddenly this market that might take years before people bought anything, they all bought it in a very short period of time. And one of the companies in Australia that was growing quite fast got all these uni students in to predict their growth rates. And they made these numbers up that were based on, I don't know, fantasy, whatever, and they presented them. And it's like, it was impossible. When you look at these numbers, you go, how the hell? There's not that many businesses in Australia even. Like, the numbers <laughs> would make no sense. And they yeah. started to believe their own BS. Yeah. And, and I think, and that was their undoing for quite some time because it meant that they were actually put all these resources and things against something that was completely wrong. And I think they fell in love with their product. I think that's what happened because they tended to try to, think well, we're going to make thousands of sales well hang on a minute all the sales are gone <laughs> like you're going to have to you're in the conversion business now right yeah. and i think that's their life cycle you know you got i guess the other thing is understand where the life cycle of the product is right because yep. if the life cycle is in the early days you've got great opportunities but if you're in the in the really conversion stage where you're taking a customer from someone else um then that's a harder gig to get because people's habits are hard to change red ocean yep mm. Yep. So um, you were talking before about you just finished doing Scalable. So obviously that was an interesting journey in terms of what you did. What was the main kind of um, points of taking a company? So you're, the idea of Scalable is, is that you're basically working on a business system and improving your processes, right? And that's the main gist. I mean, I went through some different stages of it some of the time. Uh, it's the main kind of gist is you're trying to make sure that your business has got a proper business system in place, right? Yeah. So for us, I mean, we've, we've been on a really steady growth trajectory since day one for seven years and scalable talks about the S curve of growth, which when I became an entrepreneur, I was oblivious to, you know, I, I just thought you start something. And, and as I launched more businesses, I got more savvy about this, but you know, you start something and you get those initial sales and you get traction. And then, you know, in my then mind, crickets. it just, <laughs> <Then> yeah, just... <laughs> went up like this, but the reality yeah. is, yeah, you go and then it's crickets. Mm. And 
I've, I've been fortunate to go through that enough in other companies that I was aware of that. Mm. And we have in, in the seven years I've been in business, we've been through two S curves already and we've just experienced some record growth. And I, I have a pretty good intuition now of, of our business processes. And I started to see, look, the processes we have in our business are good. They, they were successful from taking us to here, up one S curve to the next, but they're starting to break down. And rather than reinventing those ourselves, I did look out and I, I evaluated a few companies. I know EOS is a big one with traction. Um, I think E-Myth has their form of it. And I came across Scalable too. For me, what I liked about Scalable was it's not ivory tower. It was a very practical, very real life um, for entrepreneurs and simple. And so after evaluating the options we had, I just I jumped in and, and committed with my team to do the work. I mean, just do the work. If we're going to do it, let's do it. And it's been good. We've, we've really gotten our entire team involved, which was a transition for me as an entrepreneur, because when you start out as an entrepreneur, you're the one doing it. Mm. And this S curve for us was interesting because even though I've delegated a lot along the way as our team's grown, this was the first time I, I refused to directly do any of the work. And I had my and team do it. And that's, that's, that's hard a big, itself, it's hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the hardest part was, was not allowing myself to just jump in and follow my normal habits, which is to do the work and to just stay back and coach my team through it to their credit. They stepped up, they did it. And now there's, there's way more buy-in because they were part of the process and, and really did help kind of help us break through that next um, S curve. So kind of fun. Quite interesting. I, I saw um, Ryan Dice talk in Sydney a few years ago, and one of the things he said was, "Is this every so often it's 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 um, an entrepreneur will take their company to the brink of disaster," and and um, the person that was interviewing whatever on stage or whatever looked shocked, right? And I thought, obviously, you've never been in business before, <laughs> because <laughs> you know that's what you do. The funny thing that's about it is, the staff don't always know that you're about to come and go over the cliff, right? So they're thinking, yeah. well, you know, everything's good because you're trying to keep up the facade. And then suddenly, you know, you're in, you're in big trouble and you go turn around. Because, I mean, that's the hard part is that with with employees is that if you tell them too much, you scare them. If you don't tell them enough, you scare them. And, you know, you get yeah. in that situation where if you don't open with them from the get-go, you can't start doing that necessarily later on. It becomes scary to them then when you start opening up when you didn't in the first place. Yeah, you know, that would be interesting. So I can't speak to what it would be like to go back and open up when maybe you'd been closed before. Mm. I've, I've got a pretty open book policy. I mean, you, that there is some intelligence into what we share, but I, I lean on sharing more than withholding more. Mm. And that's almost an accidental habit, but it's one that I think served me because we do have a very close knit, um, very trusting team. And they've been through a couple of those S curves with me and to their credit, they really stepped up during some of those, those plateau moments and, and helped get to the next uh, growth curve. So I think if people, so to their credit, it's been amazing. I think if people understand and you, and you communicate it with them properly, I think most of them will help you. Know, the reality is that the business isn't a straight line or straight it's up. It's not. Right? And, and so <laughs> no way. If you think someone's going to get nervous and jump off early because of some little glitch along the way, then they're probably not going to stay for the long haul anyway. They're going to end up 
you're going to end up losing them anyway. So probably best to. We there used to be a saying in our business that the staff that the managers came up with, and I don't know whether it was a great saying, but it said we chuck you in the deep end and we see if you can swim. If you can swim, you stay. If you don't, you go. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's in so some respects, I that. guess it's it's the way they used to do it. It's like, in, and it's a great way because it tells you what people will do under pressure. Because I think that's yeah. the the trick is people can perfectly do fine when they're not under pressure, but as soon as you put them under pressure, that really stands the test of whether they're actually going to make it or not. I think. Yeah, and it, it brings out other aspects of their personality that you don't see in other, yeah, other circumstances, which is interesting, you know. Yeah, I always do always say accounting software had all the, uh, the benefit of bringing out the worst in people <laughs> because <laughs> cause it's got the two food groups. You've got finance and money and you've got, you know, accounting, uh, uh, right, which is uh, most people don't like. like and, and so it's like you bring those two together and you can create all sorts of interesting, you know, um, people that get really upset and irate over something that's actually not real, but they, they, it pushes all the buttons, right? I, yep, I can see that for yeah. sure. So what does it look like for you for now, for the future now that we're, and I guess the pandemic probably is a good thing in some respects because mm-hmm. it means that people are home shopping online, right? Uh, it's a bad thing though for retail where people aren't going in and seeing products. So that's changed the demographic, I think. And I don't know whether we'll ever go back to that, right? I don't think you'll ever get back to that big kind of retail when people have now got in the habit of buying online. I mean, you know, you know, buying, you know, getting menu log to deliver you something that you normally would drive down the road for, would people stop going back to going down and driving down the road? There's a lot of debate. I've I've read a lot of interesting insight with both arguments. You know, one argument being we've permanently changed buying habits and we're never going back. And they can back that up with a lot of credible research mm-hmm. and and you can see that train of logic. There's other other thoughts that are we have this pent-up need for human connection mm-hmm. that could come roaring back to more brick and mortar or more person-to-person connections. But even those people that that are in that camp i think do agree that whatever we had before it's not going to look exactly the same as it did so so online certainly here to stay and i think it's certainly jumped up what what human to human interactions look like from a retail point of view you know eyes wide open i think it's certainly creating a lot of opportunities for some new categories and and for people that are on the cutting edge of what possibilities they are i think you're going to see some new businesses born out of this little phase that we're in right now that are are, have the potential to really really skyrocket with their trajectory if they're tuned into what's going on in the market what consumers need and what retailers need and i think the challenge with retailers now is they've become um, biosecurity companies like doing like previously you never had to worry about the health and safety of your customer right like as yeah. long as they could walk and breathe they were fine right unless they had a heart attack on your in your premises at the end of the day you didn't have to care about the health and wellness yeah. but now it's almost like it's 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 a big thing and I, I suspect that the companies that get that right um yeah. because if you don't feel comfortable going there or you don't feel safe or whatever that's gonna that that fear factor is going to drive them away they're not going to go back now, that's yeah. probably one thing i would think it's interesting insight yeah mm. Yeah, so I'd be interested to see what happens out of this, and and I guess the the new variations of, of of Corona have basically caused a situation where it's far more infectious. So it means that the reality is is not this thing isn't going away anytime soon. Um, so they're going to have to no. adapt to it and live with it. You can't you know you can't just hide away from it for the rest of your life. Like it's not going to work. <laughs> it's not. You know, I who know I'm not a doctor, 
I, I don't even play a doctor on TV. No, but, <laughs> but um, you can see the obvious, does, though, right? Can't you? You can see the obvious. I think when some seem... people can't see it, I don't know what it is. I don't think they don't want to see. That's the same thing. You fall in love with your product, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and it is. That's again, it's confirmation bias. You can fall in love with your product. You can fall in love with your belief system, or mm. or your ideas or whatever you think about the pandemic and, and your brain literally tunes out everything that doesn't agree with what you decided on. So, yep, yeah. Yeah. And you see sure. that play out very well on Facebook. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Facebook doesn't help. I think they kind of, no. <laughs> every day I look at that thing and wonder whether I should just get out of it. Well, I can. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are you, what are you working on now? What's your, what's the big thing for, uh, for the next year? Do you got anything coming? Yeah, man, we're working on some really, really fun products for customers. And and speaking of, you know, products born out of the pandemic and and permanent shifts, we do have a couple of products that I'm, I'm incredibly excited about. I obviously can't talk about because we're under NDA, but we are working with some companies that are very savvy to what's going on. Some of the permanent behavioral shifts and the products working on are, are exciting. So there's that. And then for us as a company too, I mean, we, we had to take a look at what our, what our product offerings were, and we're so heavily reliant on China and international trade, which with all the shipping and logistical challenges, supply chain issues, it's, we're actually thriving because there are so many problems. So we're more in demand than ever. Mm. Um, People are willing to wait a bit longer too, where before they weren't, right? They, they do accept that there's a problem so that you can yeah. get in that buy-in from the customer too. Yep, absolutely. And and thank goodness they, they're yeah. understanding. But uh, so we're busier than ever because of all the problems that there are and, and we're helping solve those. But I also want more stability in the company. One thing we do really well is product strategy. So this, this stuff we're talking about right now, making sure you're sitting down at the right table, Mm. you know, that's what, it's the way my brain works. And (laughs) I love working on product strategy with people to make sure you're, you're in alignment with who your brand is and who your customer is and that you've got a distribution strategy in place and you've got the resources uh, required to deliver the the product that you want. A lot of people don't look at that holistically, and I love sitting down with entrepreneurs and looking at that. So, when you, when you ask what we have in the future in the next year, that's where I'm super focused is on product strategy. And part of the reason I like that is right now we're exclusively working on physical products, but when you when you add product strategies and element, now we can work on digital project products and even service products um, to really help people get those right for the marketplace. So I, I see the probably the most leverage in business there at that early stage. Most people, the trend is people bypass that. They, they fall in love with their product. They get yep. the idea at 3 a.m. They're like, this is it. I'm going to go with it. But if you just pause for a moment and really get that strategy right and make sure that your ducks are in a row, I mean, the leverage on that is massive. And that's what gets me really excited. And, and what other people say, say about it, I think, you know, like you sell a hundred of them and see if you can sell a hundred personally kind of thing. And if you if you get, you can sell a hundred and they like it, if they don't like it, then you know for sure. But I think sometimes it's easy to jump ahead and think, okay, I can sell this, everybody will want it. Three years later, you're still trying to sell it. <laughs> and Yeah. And I think there's a merge there too of, of the physical and the digital products. Like you see like a lot of handheld technology, um, you know, embedded technology and stuff like that coming out. And I did an interview with a guy a couple of, couple of months ago where you invented all these like wearable socks that track everything that's going on can actually predict whether you're going to fall 
And so it's quite amazing what's happening with the, that sort of technology. So I think there's going to be a big merge between your physical product. I mean, my coffee maker, I can I can communicate it with my mobile phone to make a coffee, right? And yep. so suddenly that software running that thing, and probably behind the scenes, it probably is mostly software running that coffee machine now. Yeah. Um, but that's a kind of a merge of technologies where you normally you have to worry about it, like with your fridge and stuff. So I think there's there's that that kind of merge between that physical product and that offline um, or that online kind of software s- subscription model that might work as well. Absolutely. You've got your whole internet of things is what they mm. call it in, in the manufacturing space. And um, you, you can see it in the smart homes, like with your coffee makers, your lights, Google Home, Alexa, all that. So there's certainly a, a big emergence of a new trend there. I just have the coffee makers and reporting back and tell them somebody having coffees I'm drinking here now. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I predict how many beans I'm going to buy next week, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. pretty scary. Yep. So, well, thanks so much for coming. Um, we'll, um, so how does anybody get in touch with you if they want to talk about and they're looking at launching a product and who are you kind of looking for if they do come to you? What, what do they need to, you know, what, what sort of list your best customer essentially? Yeah, good question. So the people that, that we're best suited to work with are existing businesses that uh, are growing and it's kind of those accidental innovators that that created a first product that's successful they built a business around it now they're going oh shoot what should my second and third product be mm-hmm. i i need some help with that a lot of times their product teams whether it's them personally or their teams are a little busy and, and so they'll work with us to help supplement that and and help them make that second third fourth product really successful um for new inventors and new entrepreneurs, we have a guided innovator program, which is really more early stage to help coach them through this strategy stuff that we talked about so that they can get the idea right, get the strategy right so that they can be more successful. But yeah, for our core offering or signature service, it's, it's existing businesses, those accidental innovators that, that are looking for their second, third, fourth product to go to market. Um, best way to get a hold of me is just on our website. It's productevo.io. Um, right on the website, we have you can book a strategy call, which is where we'll give you three, 30 minutes and really help you walk you through your strategy. And my goal on that is whether we do business together or not, I want people to walk away with three specific action steps to, to move their idea forward. And then I've, I've created what I call my product strategy canvas. And in all my years of being an entrepreneur, um, I mean, we're, we're coming up on 18 years as an entrepreneur now. And in all the products I've been a part of, we, we actually counted and we've been a part of over a thousand products going to market. Nice. I've taken and captured everything I know about what it really takes to make a product successful in a single page canvas. So it looks simple. And it can be simple, but you can go really deep. And we use that as our framework to develop effective product strategies. You can download that for free on our website. And um, I'd invite anybody to, to check that out if they want to use that as a guide. Yeah, like take take advantage of 18 years of experience and <laughs> don't do it and get to the wrong table, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> Probably go to the wrong house even. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Could be written badly. So thanks so much for coming on the show and I uh, really appreciate your time and I hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. That's a wrap on another awesome episode for the Startup Secret Show for Nippernors. Just before you go, if you like this episode, we'd be very grateful for a five-star review. Please also consider recommending the show to a friend or two. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at startupsecrets.show right now. 
Until next time, if you're an editor or make a start on your next great business idea today.